0: Welcome to this week's edition of Talk on Tech. I am Patrick Smith, and for this week, we're going to talk about women in IT. In a recent study I was reading, they talked about how CIOs, the chief information officers uh, in all the tech companies, only 20% of the CIOs were women. And there's always been talk about how we need to bring more women into IT. Cisco even has a multimillion-dollar campaign to try to bring in more women into IT. Here at Mount West, though... We seem to be bucking that trend because we have eight IT faculty members and of those eight, four of them are women. So we're hitting the 50% mark. And so today I want to talk to some of those different women about how they got into IT and also into teaching. So first, welcome Kim Priest, professor of web development here at Mount West. Hello, Kim. Hello. So Kim, if you would, tell us briefly about how you got into IT and then later into teaching.
1: When I graduated high school, my goal in life was to be a statistician for the Cincinnati Reds, influenced strongly by my grandfather. So my major, of course, was math. I loved math. So when I was at Marshall University, I was hired as a student assistant at the Corps of Engineers, and I got hired in the Information Technology Division because at the time, all of the employees of the information technology division were all mathematicians because much of the programming involved fortran language which relied heavily upon math
0: Mm -hmm. A a lot of logic i imagine
1: yes a lot of logic and while i was there i got exposed to more and more technology and really began to enjoy the technology part the computer part more so than the math While I work there, a lot of mainframes, uh, PCs started to become more popular and I was asked if I would be willing to go to the emergency management division because they wanted to have their own.
0: What is is the emergency management area? What is that even for?
1: So it was an area for uh, in case of um, disasters in the government, like if we were bombed uh, at the time. So you would practice mobility.
0: So kind of disaster recovery, business continuity type things?
1: Right, in logistics. Got a secret clearance. Oh. And so I really developed a big interest in um, computer technology and then ended up switching my major from math to information technology.
0: So you were at the core while you were finishing your bachelor's from there. Did you, you had to have moved on from the core at some point?
1: Right. So when I graduated, I was hired at the med school in uh, academic computing as a systems analyst based upon my background that I got at the, at the core of engineers. So I did a lot of um, programming, networking, uh, PC work in the lab. was on the academic side out at the VA hospital worked there for three or four years and then I transferred to information technology at Marshall University and more of the networking area we uh, were using Novell at the time
0: okay so how did you how did you get from working in IT to eventually teaching it then
1: while I was working in uh, information technology at Marshall, Ms. Gregg had asked me to teach some, as an adjunct, some Excel classes at the time and some DOS classes. So I taught and really enjoyed it. And so when an opportunity became available to teach, I jumped on that. At the time, I had a family and was looking for a little more flexibility in my schedule, not really less work, but more flexibility. So it was a perfect fit.
0: Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Our next interview is going to be with Rhonda Scragg, who's currently our Chair of the Information Technology Area and Professor. Hello, Rhonda.
2: Hello, Patrick. How are you this afternoon?
0: Great. We're talking about what drew you into IT and then later into teaching Information Technology.
2: Patrick, my education at Marshall was as a teacher. Uh, after I had graduated from Marshall, I went to work at Special Metals, that was then the nickel plant. And at the nickel plant, they trained me to be a computer programmer. The reason I changed careers from teaching to programming was because teachers at that time were making uh, such a l- small salary that I really could not sustain my life being a school teacher and I had an opportunity because I was a math major for this job at the nickel plant and I took the job and worked there for 13 years but my heart was really never in it I always wanted to go back to teaching so an opportunity came up at the community college to teach and I jumped on it and I have been here now I'm starting my 30th year and the reason why I think I chose computers was because I had a math background, and a math background is very good to have if you're going to go into any kind of computer work, and it was just always something I was interested in.
0: I would, I would imagine the logic of math plays well into the programming.
2: Yes. I l- and I love the logic part.
0: Because I know that when we interviewed Kim Priest, she mentioned she was already doing mathematics and was going to become a statistician, mm-hmm. and then she moved to IT. So it does seem there's a pattern yes, here. Yes,
2: there's just a natural pattern from mathematics to IT. Okay.
0: Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Our next interview today is with Teresa Literal, who's an assistant professor of geospatial studies here at Mount West. Hello, Teresa.
3: Hello, Patrick.
0: So we're talking today about what got you into information technology or computers, and then what was the natural progression from that into teaching?
3: Well, um, I guess originally my background is geology. So I got into geology, and as technology advanced, I got more involved in technology and more and more kind of reliant on software and computers and things like that. And with today's challenges, I thought IT seemed to be a, a good field to get into to um, teach people and teach as fast as the technology was moving. So
0: okay, so you're so you came from geology, so you already came from a, a natural science, and it yeah. was kind of an easy progression into yeah, it an was. integrator.
3: It was at the very beginning, uh, it wasn't technology heavy, but uh, towards the end of my degree, it was just three years. Um, it was more and more it, technology was more and more introduced and. Uh, we had to kind of map everything, you know, with AutoCAD and different things like that. So it's we kind of advanced as it advanced. So, Okay. Thanks.
0: Our final interview today is with Kim Copley, who's an assistant professor here at Mount West Community Technical College. Hey, Kim. Hi, Patrick. So, Kim, tell us about how you got into computers and the IT world.
4: Well, Patrick, this started back when I was a young child. I had this obsession for using the piano. I wanted to to learn how to play a piano. I liked using my fingers. I liked pushing the piano keys. And as I had grown older, I started using the cash register as I was um, a cashier. okay. And I liked to uh, push the buttons on the cash register, and... After high school, I initially started in a nursing program. I, uh, of course, got pregnant with my daughter. I held off some from school for about five years. And then I thought, you know, I'm, I want to go into computers. It's time for me to go back to school.
0: Well, that makes sense because it kind of relates back to doing the flow of the fingers with the piano.
4: Yes, yes. So not knowing that it was as hard as it really was, <laughs> I just was thinking <laughs> keyboard. I want to be able to push that keyboard. So I got back in and I started my associate degree in uh, computers and ended up going into the networking side of uh, the computer world and happened to be at the right place at the right time, took a uh, full-time position with Marshall Community and Technical College at the beginning, and that's how I got into the IT world.
0: Oh, well, it, it seems either way you went, you were still going the STEM path. Because these days, a lot of times, they're talking about trying to get women going into science, technology, engineering, or mathematics. Uh So it seems you were even looking at going the nursing route. So you were still already STEM-minded, it seemed like, all the way through. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Thank you very much. Thank you. So I hope you all enjoyed the four interviews we had uh, with the different faculty at Mount West. As I was putting this podcast together, and I was up to the 10-minute mark, I decided That's not quite a very full episode, so we are back not with an interview-only episode. We're back to talk about some IT news. Scott's here. Hey, Scott. Hey, how you doing? And Scott and I drove over to Josh's house and knocked him out and put him in an area rug and drug him over here, and he's now chained to a chair. So Josh does live. Hey, Josh. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. We're now in week four of classes. How are your classes going, Josh? We haven't we haven't heard from you in a while, so how are things going in your classes?
5: Um, they're going pretty good. Uh, I'm down to 18 hours this semester. So this is uh in the five years. This is my six-year teaching, five full-time. This is the lowest amount I've taught.
0: And for people out there that don't know, 18 hours means six three-hour classes normally, or... Or three six-hour classes right Where yeah i'm three six-hour classes yeah, yeah yeah
5: yeah those are really intense yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> how about six three-hour classes there right
5: right yeah mine's a, mine's a little bit weird because i'm doing one uh that's four and i got a couple that are one hours but it it's going pretty good it's actually uh i think it's going really well for a fall semester so i've got a good group of students so it's making things go pretty smooth.
0: And you're doing A plus classes and programming classes. Yeah, I'm
5: doing a C plus plus. I'm doing a C sharp. I'm doing a Adobe Action Script, which is Gaming One, mm-hmm. and then I'm doing a couple internship classes, and then IT two seventy, which is computer repair. So
0: okay, well, I know when when Scott and I did the Windows ninety five, when we had talked about the fact that we were both, I was doing Microsoft for them, he was doing for Cisco. We were about on the same path, so now we're at the end of week four. My students this week took their, their third of four tests, their quiz two, and so we're going into the finals uh, coming up this next week. I've got to get through um, all the chapters to get them prepared for the final, and I'm going to let them do it the, the following week. So where are you at, Scott, with Cisco?
6: Uh, we'll be finishing up next week, too. We're you know doing, like you said, those four Cisco classes, mm-hmm. um, and so – I think I may be reading it wrong, but I think stress levels are pretty good. You know, they're down relatively low. I think, of course, this is the intro class. So, yeah. Next week is our uh, basic um, boot camp on uh, like variable length subnet masking and all that oh, kind of stuff. Yeah. So, uh, I'm really looking forward to it, actually. But, you right. know, we, we went through IP version six yesterday and. Um, <laughs> All my all my IT career, I have uh, thought you know if if only I can retire before IP version six gets implemented. <laughs> um, I'm I'm still really holding on for that, but uh, I suspect it's not gonna. I'm not gonna be able to get away unscathed. But uh,
0: yeah, it's it's. I mean, they're they're dragging us, kicking and screaming. I didn't realize for the longest time when IPsec came along that the whole idea originally was to put that in IPv6. Oh, yeah, it's native and, to IPv6. Yeah, it was just and, a
6: onto on to IP version 4. Well, I
0: mean, eventually they're like, my goodness, we're never going to get to version 6. These people are kicking and screaming. So they finally retroactively tacked it on to IPv4 Yeah, for the, for and, the fact we weren't getting there fast enough.
6: And, and I I don't know if you remember or not, but IPsec actually broke NAT.
0: Yep. <laughs> and then you so, had to get, like, a NAT traversal for it to actually work correctly. Right, because,
6: you know, your NAT was, you know... Needed to be able to go into the headers and change, you know, the source and destination ports and or and uh, addressing, and uh, IPsec was encrypting the entire packet, and that's just, I can't mess with that.
0: Yeah, you know, because suddenly so. somebody maliciously changed this packet, and and that wasn't really what was happening. It wasn't malicious at all, but right, right. it was it was throwing a red flag. Yep. Before we get into some of our stories. Last week, I did an interview with uh, Jared Staten and and Scott. He was telling me he had an IBM Aptiva growing up, Mm. and he said that on it, it dual-booted in both Windows three one one for workgroups, as well as OS2 Warp. Yeah. And so he said that he immediately, when he got the first opportunity and knew how to do it, he immediately wiped that machine, made it go back to regular old Windows for workgroups, no longer (laughs) dual-booting. but. I kind of tried to give the the cliff notes version of, of how that all came about, but you would you'd talked to me before about having some experience with OS2 Warp. Yes. So I, I was hoping you could maybe give a better, maybe a more accurate history of how that came about.
6: Well, OS2 Warp, you know, in the uh, Triumph of the Nerds videos, they they mm-hmm. talked about the fact that. Um, Initially, they were uh, developing OS 2, you know, operating system 2, mm-hmm. uh, with Microsoft, you yep. know, was was doing the programming with them on that, and they talked about K-locks, you know, thousand lines of code and mm-hmm. all that stuff. But, um, and so, it, originally that was going to be like IBM's version of DOS. But then, you know, Windows was coming along, Microsoft was really pushing that, you know, making Steve Jobs mad. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and so... OS/2 Warp was actually, you know, like their version of Windows, IBM's version of Windows. They they broke it broke it off with Microsoft. You know, the, the honeymoon was over. Actually, OS/2 Warp was way ahead of its time. It was it was much better than than Windows at that time. And um, I, I can't remember. There was a state agency, and I think it might have been Health and Human uh, Health Health and Human Services, maybe. Mm-hmm. And um and they went entirely OS/2 Warp. And so when I was working at the computer store, we were selling machines and then we, you know, of course, they weren't coming in with OS2 Warp on there. And so we had to, um, had to, you know, install that, set it up and everything and, and install it at the actually uh, the different locations up there. And they had a thing, you know, you've seen my um, lunchbox, my compact lunchbox computer that, mm-hmm. you know, I um, even
0: I even posted some pictures of that up on our twitter account of talk on tech mctc so people could see what your compact 486 66 portable looked like
6: yeah but don't forget i put in an evergreen chip in that thing and i turned it into a pentium one
0: but i'm just saying (laughs) if they were wanting to google what it was was, its model number was called a 48666 portable
6: yes and so that the state agency, you know that that this was Health and Human Services. I'm almost sure it was them. Uh, they had what they called a code server, which was running on a machine similar to that that you carried around. You know, um, that thing does weigh quite a bit. You know, but it was it was portable. But basically, what they were doing was pushing out an image. You know that they had set up for their desktops there on OS2, though. So that so, was
0: almost like WDS way yeah, before it was ever way existing. before
6: WDS ever even you know thought about coming out. Wow! And so we would boot those things up with a very similar how we used to set up the MCSE labs, right? You know, you'd have a, a DOS oh, boot disk with
0: the with the Bart the Bart uh, DOS disk. Yes, mm-hmm. and with the
6: network client, you connect to the um, to the server up there where you had you know images or whatever. And so that's how that worked. And I mean, it was it was so slick. I mean, it really helped us. And so they would loan us this code server, and and I would go around and uh, fire up a bunch of machines at one time, and and get that pushed out to them. But if you if you look at um, at pictures of OS2 Warp, you'll see it. The graphics and and everything, the windows and all that kind of stuff, look much cleaner, much kind of snazzier, snappier than Windows did at the time, for sure. Well, it seemed
0: like Windows was sixteen colors for the most part. I mean, that was very very. Very very um, elementary color system, and looks like maybe that OS2 Warp was going for 256. Something you didn't well, really see in Windows than 95. That, I
6: mean, I, I just remember thinking at the time, I think it was more like Windows 95, mm-hmm. really, and and everybody else was on Windows 311. You know, well, and so see, I, I guess
0: I guess I was wrong because in Jared's episode, I said I thought the reason that Microsoft was having to create OS2 for IBM was I thought that IBM started looking around and realizing with Compaq with all these ROM clone companies out there who were now making their own thing that IBM realized oh crap Microsoft can sell their version of DOS to these other companies we're not the only game in town anymore and I was under the impression that OS2 was going to be designed by IBM to be only exclusively usable on an ibm machine so they could try to get back to being proprietary in nature even though they were open architecture that would try to be proprietary for them so if that wasn't the case then why were they why were they trying to create os2 if, if that wasn't the case
6: well i i'm not really sure uh, about that but there were other versions of dos that were out there if you recall um digital research gary Kildall hmm uh ibm went to went to him first bill gates actually sent them you know pointed them towards yep. gary kildall and said hey he he's got you know dos and um you know dr dos if you ever see that anywhere dr dos mm-hmm. it, it digital research it, dos yeah, digital research dos it, it it actually ended up being bought by novell finally mm-hmm. but um and, and so i i think that they probably could have gone to him still Yeah, he was still alive at that time um but when they initially went there, he was out flying or whatever that day. He just <laughs> blew off IBM.
0: Well, and he didn't want to sign the non-disclosures. He wanted his, to lawyer. his wife didn't want yeah, to. Yeah, his, his, they wanted the lawyer to look at it, and IBM was not accustomed to people having any pushback at all.
6: Right. And, and I mean, I don't. I kind of don't blame her. You know, Gary went off flying around and and I, you know, kind of left her holding the bag. You know, my wife would feel the same way. I'm sure if that were the case. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but I know that
0: know. OS2 apparently. I believe original DOS was 16-bit, and I think OS2 was meant to be 32-bit. So there was going to be some incompatibilities, at least when it came to software or, or changes how software needed to work.
6: I think the biggest problem with I think OS2 Warp would run on other hardware, mm-hmm. but it was very similar to the problem that you know re- people ran into with NT, NT three five one and NT even NT four. There there were not a lot of vendors that were writing drivers for that, mm-hmm. and so you know. Why would you buy an operating system if you can't run your hardware? And so, and Microsoft, you know, pretty much strong armed everybody and said, we're going to go this common driver model. But I, I think that might have been a roundabout way to make it. It was proprietary, obviously. And IBM was doing a lot of proprietary stuff at that time. Mm-hmm. They had microchannel, microchannel architecture. That was way ahead of its time, too. It blew ESA away at the time.
0: Wasn't technically, was ESA also originally them? The extend like is extended. I, I don't think so. I, I think ISA. it
6: was you know kind of like the competition to microchannel. but you know then they also had uh, Token Ring that was was theirs, and there for a while it was faster than Ethernet. You mm-hmm. know, and so there there was a lot of stuff that they had that they, that was proprietary. But they basically shot themselves in the foot with that I think because nobody wanted to pay the the fee to to be right. able to adopt that or. You know, to, to make Token Ring cards, you were going to have to pay them a fee to do that, and it just didn't happen. Hmm. Token Ring, as you know, or maybe not, not, you might not have had a lot of experience with it, but it was way, way ahead of Ethernet.
0: Um, I remember hearing about it way back in the NT4 classes. You actually taught a class that we, we took called uh, Networking Essentials. Yes. There was not we could, we could even get certified on it but it didn't count towards our MCSC at that point it was more of an elective
6: yeah i remember you you came back not too long ago, and you said why did you make us do that you know and um, I saw well, it was very I, I,
0: helpful cuz we had a whole class on tcpip so it was it was nice uh foundational class yeah
6: t- the tcpip course was an elective for the MCSC, and, mm-hmm. and yeah that was that was essential really but the reason why i did that is because i wanted you guys all to be, you know, if you had different backgrounds as far as what, you know, you were familiar with or what IT you'd worked with, I wanted everybody to at least know that much, that foundation. But, um, Token Ring, you know, that was the mouths and cows, right? Yes.
0: MAU M- and CAU. Station
6: Access Units and, um, I can't remember. Oh, it was cows and lambs too. Um, Lobe Access Modules, lambs. Oh, they had all kinds of, um,
0: Funny co- names. colorful
6: names for stuff. Yeah. But, um, and that wasn't
0: CDMA. CD, no. Yeah.
6: It's token passing, and so, you know. Or a, or a collision. No, coll- collision avoidance is what you're thinking about. Yeah. Apple Talk does that, and so does um, your uh, access points. Wireless access points do CSMA, <laughs> CA. But, yeah. But, you know, the whole thing there, um, still, it's a contention method. You know, people... Mm-hmm are wanting to to talk when they can talk and you know there's no order to it really but with token you know any kind of token passing thing and and we do still have token ring type networks with fiber Mm -hmm. and so you see that as like backbones on campus area networks and stuff but the the idea there is it's very ordered people are not just wanting to talk whenever they can they this token a special packet that comes around on the ring you can talk when the token gets to you. If you want to talk, you can talk. If not, you release it. It goes back onto the ring. It goes to the next station, you know, that kind of thing. And so, it, it was way ahead of its time. Microsoft, or not Microsoft, but IBM did a lot of stuff like that. And, and man, those token ring cables that they had, you could run over them with a forklift. <laughs> and, uh, and they were, you know, just like a tank.
0: Now, was that Timbase base 2
6: No. Coaxial? No. Oh. It, it was... Um, It was actually shielded, twisted pair, but it had very strange, like, type A and type F or something like that were the the ends that went on there. And I mean, they were, just, you know. I'll have to show them to you later to let you see that. But, you know, when when those things went together, they didn't pull apart. Mm -hmm. Um, But you didn't want to have to put an end on one, I'll tell you that. You wanted to buy those already done. Right. Kind of like fiber. But anyhow... um, I remember at the time thinking that, you know, OS2 warp was really, it was really the things that it could do and, and all that kind of stuff is way ahead of its time. And this, you know, state agency had completely adopted that mm-hmm. and they, and they were going with that. And um, it, it was, you know, another operating system to have to learn. Sure. And so, you know, and, and sometimes you just feel like you're a gerbil in a cage running as fast as you can just to stay in place. But um, it was, I still think it was way ahead of its time. But again, Nobody was really uh, outside of IBM was really supporting it, and so it it just didn't really go anywhere. Because as you said, all the the clones, you know, b- basically took over right. and uh, pushed IBM out of their own machine or their own innovation. So, and hmm. as you know now, that's all gone to Lenovo, the Chinese company, yep. which is shipping stuff with malware.
0: Well, I mean that's. That's where all their, their laptops and desktop machines went, correct? I right. figure IBM still is in the all uh, they saw, server. Yeah, you
6: know, the big iron stuff. Yeah. You know, um, AS400s and mm-hmm. mainframes.
0: Yeah, so yeah. they're still doing all that.
6: And from what I understand, the, the ThinkPad line of laptops is, has not been shipping with malware. Right. And supposedly, it was my understanding that um, IBM retained some kind of oversight for a few years there, after they they did that just on the ThinkPad line, sure. But I think that has expired now. So
0: that that but, was kind of like that was kind of their flagship.
6: Oh yeah, I mean I love ThinkPads. They're they're great. They had the little um, it looked like an eraser, mm-hmm. uh, track point kind of a right. deal on there. I, I love those things. You either loved them or you hated them. But well, it was even you
0: you the original Mission Impossible movie. I think when when they were going to hack into the CIA. They, they had them brand new ThinkPads, had RISC processor chips in them. Ah, I yes. mean, you know, they made it sound like that this was the, the tank of innovation when it came to uh, laptops.
6: Well, RISC processors were, were way ahead, too. You know, mm-hmm. reduced instruction sets, it's, it's, it could execute things a lot faster, but a lot more expensive, too.
0: So. Yeah. Well, since this episode was about women in IT... We thought we would talk about and then add to the conversation about our possible experiences we had working for, working with different women in the IT field. I can say from from my experience, until I started teaching at MCTC, I hadn't worked for very big companies, not when it came to the IT field. When I was doing some consulting, um, it was all a guy's club at that location. But until I started teaching classes at Mount West, Marshall previously... I didn't actually have any serious interactions. I would say when I went to Marshall through the community college, I ended up having all the same professors that I now get to work with. So, so that's nice. But, but Scott, I know you, you had some experience.
6: Yeah, uh, the computer store was actually owned by a woman, Mary Lou McJunkin. Owned that, and um, she had owned it. Actually, that's why I, I had decided to leave. Is she was selling. She was she was going to get out of the uh, the company. And I thought, well, she's not. I mean, this is how much I respected her. I thought, well, she's not going to be owning it or running it anymore. I don't want to be here. Right. And my boss there at the time, uh, Mary Jo Miller, she was a woman too. And so I've I've had experience with a lot of women in IT. And I've said this all along. I I really I really think. In IT, IT, it doesn't matter your color, your gender, or whatever, it's what you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and so IT people um, quickly can tell, you know, if, if you're a BSer and you have no idea what you're doing, and so you get no respect, I don't care what gender or color you are, um, if, if you're full of crap, you're full of crap. But the mm-hmm. people that know what they're doing, it, it doesn't matter, you know, I, I've, I've not... I really have not experienced any kind of gender bias or racial bias. It, it's just, you know, you get respect for what you know. And so, uh, and then as, you, as we mentioned, you know, we've got half of the IT professors are women. That's a, that's a higher concentration than normal probably, but um, we've, w- we've worked with a lot of good people. Um, Sherry Vasishta, mm-hmm. who used to be our, our Cisco uh, instructor, very very smart person and um and you know she was great to work with and and so i i like i say i i have no problem working with anybody as long as they know what they're doing
0: well i think you had mentioned to me and i'd forgotten about this one of the presidential uh running hopefuls right now uh carly Fiorina. Fiorina? Carly Fiorina. She was the CEO of HP. So um, she was a very, very high-profile woman in IT in that yeah, regard. Yeah,
6: and actually, I saw an interview with her, and she said that you know, when she started at HP, she was a secretary. Wow. And well. she worked her way up to CEO. Um, there's also, I'm not sure if she's still the CEO of eBay, but Meg Whitman. Um,
0: uh, Meg Whitman was the one I was trying to think of the other day. Yeah. Because I want to say Meg Whitman was at some place before she was at eBay. I can't remember where,
6: though. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, she, she may have been. I, I'm not even sure she's still at eBay, but you know, you're know, you talking about a couple really high-profile companies there, HP, eBay, and so...
0: She was, okay, because when you told me when we were talking pre-podcast about this and you said it was the person who was the president of HP, I was thinking Meg Whitman because at one point Meg Whitman was the CEO of, a, of Hewlett-Packard.
6: Well, but Carly Fiorina was also, right? Did, or, you know.
0: Yeah, I looked her up as well, but apparently Meg Whitman here, it says she's an American business executive and political candidate. Yeah. So I di- I didn't know both of them had had tried to step into the 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 political limelight. Well, Carly is Carly Fiorina? Yeah, cuz Carly Fiorina is the one right now that, you know, not oh, to yeah, get, yeah, not, right. not to get too political, but apparently yeah. Trump has been saying, Donald Trump has been saying some not so kind <laughs> words about her in the press. <laughs>
6: Well, you know you're going to get that, and, and they're from the same party, right? I think they're mm-hmm. Republicans or whatever. Yeah. So,
0: but I didn't know that Meg Whitman had actually had political aspirations.
6: Uh, was she like running for governor or something of California? Maybe, maybe she wanted to take over Arnie's spot. I don't know.
0: I can I can jump in here and and look deeper into that, but um, I was unaware of it. But no, Meg Whitman was the one I was thinking about that was an actual CEO at HP. Because yeah. so I want to say, if my memory serves, and in this particular area, it may not. I want to say she was running the show at or around the time that HP and Compaq came together. And some people thought that was great. And some people were like, this, yeah, was, there, this was, there a, was...
6: There was a big clash of cultures there. Know yeah. When
4: well, when I mean, it, it, it was almost
0: like when Time Warner bought AOL. Later, it seems like they wanted to quickly separate and trim off the fat and get away. So some people yeah. thought that, that merger of Compaq and HP was good. And most people were like, that that hurt our business.
6: I remember when Compaq bought digital equipment that was kind of like you know little fish ate the big fish and I, I thought you know Compaq bought DEC you know right. but the the whole idea there was they bought DEC for their file servers
0: right it, it looks like here that Meg Whitman had ran in 2010 for California governor uh, um, yeah so so not, not for the president of the United States but she did have political aspirations mm-hmm, at that point too so, but Josh, did you have any? Do you have any coworkers or, or women with you in IT?
5: Yeah, I mean, when I started, um, well, I had Sherry actually for my Cisco, a couple of my Cisco classes before she left, and then uh, when I was working part time with the IT department with, at Marshall, well, Mount West. Now w- there wasn't really anybody there in the department other than it was all it was all males, mm-hmm. and then. When I started teaching, though, of course, now with you guys, it's half of it is, is women. And, I mean, again, I agree with Scott on that whole thing with if they know what they're doing, they know what they're doing. It doesn't matter, gender, race, uh, whatever. And I've had very good uh, situations with the uh, Working alongside them, right? So, but that's it. I haven't haven't done anything Yeah, I mean, it's great. Else. It's great to work with smart people. I, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, I it, don't care it who is, you uh,
6: are. It's great to be around smart people. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. Um, I, I've, you know, I've, I feel blessed. This is, you know, kind of like my second career. It is, and um, and so I, I know we had such a fantastic crew at, at the computer store when I was there. It was just, you know, I, I couldn't think of anybody better that we could have had you know everybody did knew their job so well and and they did it so well well there there's there's one person that i kind of use in class you know scenarios where i say okay this is what not to do Mm -hmm. but um everybody else was actually really really (laughs) great to work with and so um and maybe you know this guy who i'd never disclose who that was because i think he's still around here somewhere but um maybe he was just you know giving me all this you know good material that i could use in class later on in my career to well, say you uh, he know, was don't showing do that. you what not to
5: do yeah. what yeah. not to do what not to do yeah i think um, that's like the test everything <laughs> mm-hmm. i think that's it too we i mean you've got like a bad example like that and i mean but i think the other thing too is uh, at least for us i feel we're pretty lucky because we're always supporting one another in whatever it is that we're trying to do inside of the IT world, especially mm-hmm. now with all the stuff that we're doing to make you know, upgrade our classes and make new classes and everything like that. You really don't have anybody that says, Oh no no, no that's not that's not a good idea. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that
6: Or, or you know, jockeying for position or right. something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. You I,
5: know. I, we don't really have I don't feel like we have any any sort of competition within our little group, I think the most the, part. I
0: think the interesting thing is, that in our classes, Scott has to bring up examples, for example, of that person you'd worked with, to tell our students. Because, for the most mm-hmm. part, our students don't see that yep. in, right. in our environment. And we have to explain to them, no, when you go out there, there are environments mm-hmm. that are not as cordial and is not as supportive as what we have here at Mount West. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but as a lot of the people I've interviewed previously typically say usually those people get weeded out pretty fast
6: when, yeah, I, when I did
0: I, the interview with with jared he talked about working at a at a law firm at one point and nobody he got brought in there was already an it guy there and and when he got brought in nobody was calling the help desk and so like he walked around year, oh and gosh. was like how are you guys doing i mean do you need any help and they're like oh oh yeah that'd be that'd be great and what he quickly learned was the person that was over the help desk there was not cordial. He he actually told me on the interview that the guy was worse than Nick Burns. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he goes, he didn't last there that long because they all started calling me. Because even though I didn't know as much as that guy did about their network, they would gladly spend 20 minutes with me trying to figure out the problem, being nice to them and explaining it to them, instead of the five minutes he could have done chastising them about it.
6: Oh, man. There, there was a guy that was going around at one point and... um I remember um, Red Cross called me one day, and they said, "Um, "Are are you in Novell CNE?" And I said, "Yeah, yes, I am." And they said, "Um, "Well, we we need some help." And they said, "You know, there the person that had been doing our network um, told us that he had made it purposely so obscure and twisted that nobody could come behind him and, um, and and work on the network." And he called that job. You know, job, security. job security.
0: Yeah, job security, yeah.
6: And I said, well, is that person's name this? <laughs> and and they said, yes. As a matter of fact, it is. And I said, well, okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure I can help you out because I said I've helped out two or three other companies already. you know. And um, <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine. I, I just can't fathom somebody doing something like that and thinking that's going to um, endear them. To their customer you know well, and, and that's going to make job security it completely backfired sure it did because as soon as they got somebody to, who could come in there and straighten it out and i mean what the guy would do is he, he would have you know scripts calling batch files that called other scripts you know and stuff like that and um it, it was contorted but you know i'd already waded through that stuff at a couple other places and i had a pretty good feel for his little show game there
0: you knew his method to his madness <laughs>
6: yes and so yeah i mean it's just crazy uh, we just talked about that in class the other day, about how, you know, if you make people feel comfortable, talk to them on their level, don't talk down to them, and let, you know, it, it's, you, you got to get a feel for that, where mm-hmm. where they're at. The example I used was like, you know, you got a RAID 5 array here. One kind of techie type of person would would want to know the details of, you know, how does this actually work? You know, if a drive fails, it, it it's still going to stay up and running and it'll rebuild itself and all that. And you, you can tell them about that. Another customer could be at a completely different level, and all they need to know is if they have a problem with it, it won't go down, <laughs> and, and you know you can get the part, stick it back in there, and everything will be fine. Right. And so you might even be more expensive than your competition or whatever. But if if you make the cu- customers feel comfortable and secure that they know you know when they do have a problem and they call you, you're going to fix it. They'll they'll call you every time because you you're you're almost like a partner with them, you know, a friend
0: speaking about raid oh, yeah. I, I thought I remembered you had a story that I don't think you ever told on the podcast you You told it to me when we were driving up to uh to one of the conferences someplace, but uh, it was about a guy's some you were doing consulting, I believe at the time, or you may have been doing stuff with a computer store, but you managed to talk one of the guys into buying a raid array
6: oh yeah it was it was mirrored. It, okay. it wasn't a ready, ready. It was on a um, NetWare three one two server, and um, which I still say that's the best network server ever. My my next favorite one, you know, I'm sure you, you is Server two thousand three. Um, really? Yeah. All the you, people that liked, like people that like XT.
0: No, I like two thousand. Oh wow! It felt more of a more of a tank to me than two thousand three.
6: 2003, they they, 2000 when 2000 came out, they were starting to get serious about security, mm-hmm. just like they were with XP and stuff. But I like 2003, and um, you know people who like XP still, you know same kind of idea. But network 312, that was the Energizer Bunny of networking. And I'll tell you, this same server that we're talking about, um, it had been up for like 965 days or something mm-hmm. when I went to upgrade it <laughs> to Server 2000. And um, I, I got to tell you, conscience-wise, I was thinking, okay, <laughs> I like Microsoft, you know, I would like Novell, but I looked at that thing and I said, there's no way a Windows server is going to stay up for 900 days without being rebooted. Right. It, it just it just wasn't going to happen. But what the the incident you're talking about, this you know business owner, we explained to him that if he would um, put in, you know, go ahead and and pay for an extra hard drive in his server that was the same size, um, he could mirror you know making it w- would write to both drives at the same time and he'd have you know an exact copy at all times and so you know it was kind of a hard sell at first because it was expensive and um, you know fast wide scuzzy or something like that on that because you that had drive. to
0: buy a special card that would go ahead and support those two hard drives to make that mirroring happen without the operating system even knowing about it right you were buying right, a raid
6: it, yeah, an controller yeah. you know um and that's raid level one Mm -hmm. and so but but he went for it you know we explained it to him and everything and so then we we dialed into it to to do some kind of you know maintenance i can't remember exactly what it was and we lo and behold the drive main drive had failed at like two weeks ago and it's just bopping right along you know on that mirror drive and so i was like oh my gosh we called him up and we said, hey. We need to get you another drive um one of your drives has failed and, and he said well everything's working and i said yeah remember when we talked to you about that And he was like oh, okay well let me tell you if you ever need to you know explain this to somebody else <laughs> just have them call me and i will tell him you know it's totally worth it mm-hmm. and um and so yeah um <laughs> that uh he 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 it was like a come to jesus moment man he he was mm-hmm. converted yeah so yeah that was some good times you know a lot of times on microsoft ones you know it seems like it's it's always your primary drive that fails and then you got to go in there and edit the the boot.ini file to Mm -hmm. point to the other one but on on novell you know with that with that controller it just kept on running it was great that's cool that's cool so
0: so we've got a couple articles that we want to talk about today just so we can kind of get back to what our old format was josh you want to talk first about about the the apple announcements because this last week september 9th apple just announced they're bringing out the uh, new phone updates to the watch gigantic oh, ipad looks like, yeah. looks like they just basically ripped the monitor off an existing laptop and said it's an ipad yeah. but you're you're very much interested in getting a new phone so yeah so talk um, about the phone hey, I,
6: all i want to know is did any of you guys ask siri for a hint right because <laughs> wasn't that what they said um if you wanted a uh a hint about what was coming out,
5: ask Siri. I, I never, I,
0: I didn't. I never you didn't hear that? ask Siri. <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> yeah.
5: I only ask her what things are divided by zero <laughs> so that she gets mad. You
0: can ask her the meaning of life <laughs> and she she will answer.
6: answer. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, isn't so it for you, you ask her who for? her father is and it's, and it's, you know,
0: jobs? I, I think she does say, and you, does. you can actually ask about Steve and then. She gives you a link to the little Remembering Steve webpage, too. Well,
6: I just know, I had heard, I think it was on um, on uh, the tech the tech guy or this, the new screensavers or whatever they were talking about. Apple had said, you know, if you want more information about, you know, this event that we're getting ready to have, um, ask Siri. And so no, they did, you know, Leo Laporte asked Siri. and it, was, it just said, all will be revealed on, you know, September 9th or whatever it was. <laughs> oh. Something oh. like that, so... Wow, yeah,
5: I don't I don't really use Siri, um, only because I just don't. Oh, but, I'm not using Cortana not either. Well, yeah, right. So, so. Um, but no, the the Apple announcement, a lot of information uh, was given out. I'm interested in the new uh, iPhone 6s because I've got a 5s currently, and are you going to go with the Plus though? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Plus. I don't mind. Like a lot of people don't like the bigger size and all this kind of stuff. It Doesn't bother me. I pack it around in my pocket anyways, and it's going to fit because I, I always buy clothes with big pockets. I'm very much interested in that, and I think the biggest thing with the new iPhone uh, 6S is the whole 3D Touch announcement, and that is, in short, uh, very I would almost powerful.
0: It almost seems like a way you can now right-click on your phone. By holding your finger down on the mm-hmm. phone a little bit longer, you right. pull up a contextual menu based on whatever it's, you've touched. What
6: it reminds me of is the the first Android stuff that came out, where it had resistive touch instead of capacitive right. touch on the yeah. screens.
5: It's mm. yeah, it's kind of like that. Yeah, I, I, that's a good way to think about it. It just it's all about how hard you press, how long you're holding down, um, moving it around like that. Because you, they've got the whole um, what are they calling it? Uh, Peek and pop. Which that's just that, what it's called. That just does not sound. It doesn't good. ring. That doesn't a, sound good. Yeah, it doesn't sound good. Uh, <laughs> it's the idea that you can hold it down and you can preview all the different things that are going on uh, on your phone. Like if you've got a message going on with someone and you don't want to necessarily open that message up, you can peek into it and see where where you were and or and then just like pop it onto the screen. It's it's said there, there it's going to take you a little bit to get used to how much pressure you should put on the screen and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure as soon as these come out, we're going to see lots of different videos of people crushing them and just seeing how much pressure can be put on them before mm-hmm. they break. Right. My inter- my my thought was I'm curious to see how that's going to affect the different cases um, because I always when I buy a new phone, I always immediately get an Otterbox and put on there just because that's why it usually
0: has a screen protector and it, yeah, built in it comes in. with the
5: screen protector built so in how,
0: how how are you going to still be able to touch the screen right, to how, it?
5: how's it going to be able to do that because I mean like right now you know, I don't have any issues with the, the stuff the sliding and everything like that but with this new touch 3D touch technology I don't know if it's going to affect it. it may not affect it at all but I'm not really sure because like right now my, my OtterBox has the screen on it and I have a protective one of those protective films on the screen and so when you're adding all that in there, I don't know if it's going to affect it or not. And, it and for those of
6: you who don't know, by the way, we sound like we're, you know, Patrick and I are really, you know, high tech on these phones and stuff, too. But Patrick has a flip phone. Yeah, I still and, have an and, and, and Android browser. phone from Kroger that's um, an <laughs> Android
5: 2.3.5, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah.
0: I, I still carry my Motorola Razr that I purchased in
5: 2004. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so I went. I got when I, my first iPhone was 3GS. And then I got the 4S, and then the 5S. And so I kind of wait. I don't do the mid-cycle. I'll wait till the last one. and Plus, that also times up with the plans, you know, the two-year plan thing. And I'm waited the whole
0: time, so, you know. Yeah, yeah.
5: He's, just, he's still waiting for the right one. But uh, the 3D Touch, I think, is the biggest thing. They also, a couple of the other specs on the inside, they deal with the fact that the battery is smaller in size. And so a lot of people are concerned that it's not going to hold as much a charge and all that. But they swear it's going to be fine it's not going to be an issue uh and then they've also added in another a new piece of equipment that changes how the vibrations uh work within the phone and mean, so
0: is it something like
5: an accelerometer uh kind of but it, i don't remember what they exactly I think, called is, is it the
0: thing they call the the the, the tactic that the haptic a, a, hapt- haptic? Hapt- haptic something yeah, yeah.
5: And so they've they've introduced this new. There's all these um,
0: little. I'm seeing the pictures. All these little. What looks like um, transformer cores inside this aptic. Did you call right, it's it just a little little sort of rectangle. H a p
5: t i c. Haptic. So my, um, my front has that. Oh, Okay. <laughs> um, but it's it's got a whole lot of stuff. Uh, it, it it did increase in size as far as how. Um, <laughs> you sounded
0: like that that um, onion video there. It's got a whole lot of stuff that my my old version doesn't have, you know? <laughs> I'll, I'll just buy anything that, that the Apple makes that's well, shiny.
5: Well, here's the thing. <laughs> that's shiny. 2 years with a phone and they don't make them like they used to. They don't make them like like my razor. Like your razor anymore other than what have you what's the only issue you've had battery swollen?
0: Yeah, I ended, had I had I, I had to buy a yeah, second a battery. I had to buy a second battery, <laughs> yeah. and that battery became pregnant. Yeah, right. And so, uh, yeah, but and you so, can
6: change your own battery, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
6: On these new ones, can you the new? You can uh, still I'll get it?
5: into it and change uh, it. Okay. If, I mean, if, well, I mean,
0: you don't have a simple handle. No, it doesn't flip out. Right. You've, you've got to buy some crazy screwdriver got, because okay, Steve okay, so does it does Still want you. supposed
6: to go back to Apple to be done? Is that? You yeah, know, no, no, they still st- want you to. Because yeah. Steve,
0: Steve didn't want you being able to get into them. They don't want you
5: to do any of that. And all I gotta
6: say, Josh is by the way. You know, you're getting old when you say they don't make them like they used to. Well,
5: <laughs> you know they don't. I mean, I've had a lot of old, the old flip phones, and yeah, I didn't have a razor as one phone I didn't have. But I yeah, had Nokia I mean, flip
6: phones, and they, they see, man, the charge on that thing would go for a week.
5: I used to have one of those Nokia. Uh, they call them candy bars. And it was just I the, used the key, to have... the keyboard too, the slide out keyboard. It didn't thing. have the slide out keyboard. Okay. It was just it was just I, the
0: I had the Nokia that like um all the buttons and had a little tiny screen up top. Yeah. And you couldn't actually raise the antenna. Yeah. It was yeah. all But fixed. It, looked, it looked like a little Snickers bar. Yeah. yeah.
5: That's what that was uh that was kinda like I think that was the first phone the first cell phone I really used. I didn't have it real long before I got a flip phone and then I got this little Slider with the qwerty keyboard on it, and I thought I was high tech, and you, know, you couldn't do anything but text and call. But um, I think that I was had,
0: actually had an old LG flip phone at one okay, point. Okay, yeah, OG. So, and then then I got this one. Yeah, but I, I I go back so far, I had had a bag phone.
6: Okay, I had, had a bag. I, I got you beat on that one. Before mm-hmm. I had a bag phone, mm-hmm. I had a phone that had a battery pack. This the same phone was on um, Lethal Weapon. <laughs> The first lethal weapon movie, Murtaugh mm-hmm. was up on a bridge and he's calling, and it, it looks like something that came from the military, a big battery pack, you know, and the phone sat on the top of that. And, um, you know, you, you kind of hauled it around along with my lunchbox computer, you know, that right. kind of thing. But yeah, um, I, I had that, and but still, you know, it was portable because a bag mm-hmm. phone was in, you know, in your car and it had no battery. It had to plug into your, your lighter, cigarette lighter.
0: Mine, mine did have a, mine had a, a battery, like the, the bag was about the size of one of those um, Franklin planners you can buy. Yeah. And so the phone was on one side and then directly beside of it, in a giant bag was this huh. enormous battery that was the size of an actual mason brick. Wow! Because um, my
6: my back phone did not have a battery in it at all. I even had a
0: place that um, I unscrewed the original antenna that would would flip up for you. Oh yeah, yeah. I screwed it into where I had an antenna built into the car, and right. I had it had it on the outside and, and of the cause, car. Yeah,
6: because you used to buy phones and they would be installed in your car. Mm-hmm. You know, but that gosh. was
0: through Cellular One when they were still around Cellular here. Cellular One. And and the reason why I got so late into that is I actually had
6: pagers. I oh had, yeah oh, I had we had pagers. those at the computer store you know mm-hmm. we would say hey um, you put it in your pocket and tell a secretary hey call me a bunch of times real quick would you you know vibrate me
0: well and the best I mean even now I think back I paid 10 bucks a month for my pager yeah that was very affordable back then
6: well I, I know I bought my I bought my pager and then the company paid the, the monthly thing for it or whatever but yeah pagers we had those I had it through Rampage Rampage oh yeah mm-hmm. they were on 6th um, Avenue
0: Yep. And yep. at one point, they were even an ISP. Yes, they were. Ramlink, I think, was what theirs was called. I yeah. think.
6: So. They were right down the street from the computer store. I remember that. Well,
0: I saw, besides them releasing the new phones that are coming out, they are bringing out what is just about a 13 inch yeah. iPad. And it has a stylus, and it has, um, you can get a, a smart cover keyboard for mm-hmm. it. So. Yeah, th- th- that seems like it, it might be like a nice Wacom tablet kind of it type seemed,
5: thing. Yeah, and and a lot of people immediately pointed out the fact that when Steve Jobs first was announcing the yep. the, the why iPhone, would stylus. Stylus? why would you want a stylus? Who needs a stylus? And uh, that's honestly what I'm when I've been looking up a little bit about the the announcement stuff. Most things I've been seeing have been pointing back to people complaining and are concerned over this stylus with the iPad Pro. And uh, why, why are they why are they worried or complaining? I, I think it's just the idea that it's they're seeing it more. as like a Wacom tablet instead of a uh, uh, you know a tablet in the sense of an I, uh, what an iPad was. If I was using some version of Photoshop, I if I was using it for that, right. I would totally I think, want one of those. And I think what they're doing, and I mean with the pricing, kind of you know pushes in that direction too. I mean with with you if you look at what all they're wanting you to be able to do on these new iPads. With editing and things like that, you would probably really want one of these styluses, and you would probably want one of these new smart cover uh, uh, keyboards. And I think with Dell is now going to sell the Microsoft Surface Surface thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to start pushing it out through their stores. I think this is uh, Apple's way of ca- trying to get into some of that market because you can flip it and and you know use it as a table well, and all this kind of stuff I totally too.
0: As soon as I saw their new Smart Cover, yeah. which, which I used to have one of the old Smart Covers, it was right. like it had the magnets on the side and it just flipped over. And yeah. it, it, it was, I had the old-fashioned one. Yeah. This one has the keyboard built in. As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, they're trying to compete with the
6: Surface. Yeah,
5: it looks like at the side, from the side view, if you mm-hmm. put them beside one another, they look very similar, in, and, in my opinion. You know,
6: before anybody had that, Asus came up with that idea. Uh, on the Transformers. Yeah. The Transformer tablets. Because I remember I saw that that when that came out at uh, CES and I looked at that and I thought, oh my gosh, what a fantastic idea to be able to, you know, uh, if you snap them together, that that keyboard has a battery in it. I have two. I've got a Transformer Mm -hmm. uh, and a Transformer Prime and that, you plug it into the keyboard and it doubles the battery life, you know, to something about like 18 hours and um and so but you can snap it out and you got a tablet you snap it together you kind of got you know a a small laptop Mm -hmm. Uh, but anyway you know the, the stylus thing—I don't know if you guys had heard about the Samsung um, phones that, if you put the stylus in backwards by accident,
0: yeah, no, it, yeah, it
6: it <laughs> it snags the sensor on the inside, and mm-hmm. the only if you pull it out, you break the sensor, and so yep. then it doesn't have any idea if you've got the the stylus out or not, whether it should go into like you know tablet mode or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! Um, and Leo Laporte. <laughs> he he was saying it was on one of his shows and if you look out look it up on youtube you, you'll find it um he was playing around with it and he said well you know it, it can't be that easy to do and all it slid right in there and he was like oh, crap he did the same thing it was stuck in there and so and he ended up breaking the little sensor it you know it's it's kind of like a, a little thing that sticks out and in one way it lets it come out Mm-hmm. You know what it is is there's like a little nub on the end mm-hmm. of the stylus, mm-hmm. and if you put it in backwards, that thing catches on that. It's kind of like a little switch, and you pull it. You know, to pull it out. You're pulling it the wrong way, and it it sounds a lot
0: like those little switches you see in copiers where the paper's being fed through
6: and it yes. knows whether it's a jam or not. I, I'm you know when I saw that happen, it, it I had this vision in my mind that you could maybe get it out if you were to like roll up a piece of paper in a tube. Mm-hmm. And push it up in there. Exactly, and and that would push the little switch out. Now I don't know if I'm you know coming up with the field service replacement unit or something to fix that. Right. But, um. I I think that might work. You know. I I don't have one of those because they don't sell them at Kroger. But right. Um.
0: <laughs> well, I remember seeing. <laughs> I'm cheap. What I don't I, say? I don't what? see commercials much anymore, but I do remember them advertising a new Samsung phone. I think where. The, the edge of the phone was curved, yes. and on the curve, they would display data for you. Yeah, yeah it's a cool, cool, really cool new looking looking one. phone. And I thought, oh, oh, a secondary display. Yeah, that's a really revolutionary idea. My Razer has a secondary display when it flips closed.
6: <laughs> yeah, but this, you know, it, it, it was the fact that it, it rolled over the edge, you know, I mean— it, I still think it was cool looking, but you know they don't sell those at Kroger either. So, right? Yeah, I've right.
5: seen a. Um, it was an ad. I think I was watching YouTube or something. and It was an ad that it popped up for that. Yeah. And so it showed up there. Yeah, because we're cord cutters, right? Pat, me and Patrick, and you know. yeah, yeah, I don't have cable either. So one thing we're, I watch
6: is yeah, you know, we're so techie. We just you know <laughs> no no cable.
0: Yeah, we're just getting rid of all the old stuff. Only going on the streaming, the Netflix, all that wonderful <laughs> stuff.
6: Yeah. So you know something
5: bad happens in a world, we don't even know about. We're clueless.
0: Yeah. So we, um, we get all of our. So some, oh, oh yeah. a
5: couple more things. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh that with the iPad Pro, it's their their big pitch is it's the twelve point nine inch screen, which mm-hmm. we said was more or less double the size. They're even pointing out for you to edit four K video, design presentations, and makes running a business easier. So I guess that whole stylus thing is for. Well, wow,
0: Josh, if you need, being able if you want to run. Lights out easier. You just need to buy an Yeah, apparently, iPad.
5: I just need a new iPad Pro, but I'm not going to do that. And then
0: suddenly, your drum business will just be right. I mean, swimming it's, in money.
5: That's exactly what it it's takes. A You got to invest, right? You mm-hmm. got to buy one of these new iPad Pros. You, you, you got to spend money to make money. It money to make money. Oh, that's that's right. you know, it does. Yeah. And then the only other thing really that jumps out to me on it is the fact that they're talking about their new A9X chip and it doubles the performance and graphics performance of the iPad Air 2. It's a 64-bit desktop-type desktop, desktop uh, type chip that they're putting in there. Do they mention the RAM in there? Because, you know, when you buy them, they always talk about the
0: hard disk space that you've got. Like, I think they have to the 128 gig. But I'm always interested in if they ever actually put any more RAM because I I really want to think they only have, like...
5: it's And it's in the...
0: Um, they only have, like, uh, maybe 8 gigs in there?
5: I'm looking, 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 looking.
0: Because Scott, I think you told me one time, like most of the androids and stuff, they you can buy ones that have like sixteen gigs of RAM in in some of those devices. Oh
6: yeah, and I, I mean, I I put a I just put a sixty four gig SD card in there in in one of my uh. I th- it's my older uh transformer the tf-101 and and it said that it did not support that because when i bought it they really didn't have 64 gig mm-hmm. um, sd cards and i think the version of android at the time maybe didn't support that
0: but well, i mean that's for your that's for your storage though correct sure i'm wondering about you're, the you're actual talking
6: about RAM. system ram yeah, yeah it, mine's got 16 meg okay. or 16 gig excuse me 16 right. meg i flew back to the 90s for a minute <laughs>
5: Yeah. <laughs> um th- they're not mentioning I don't see anywhere on here where it talks about how much RAM. The only other things really are 10 hour battery life and then they are using the wireless connectivity 802.11ac.
0: Okay, so they've actually it. bumped that up from They've the bumped end. it
5: up and it's uh the support for the LTE bands of cellular cellular networks uh apparently they're supporting a lot more of those now, so okay. But th- I don't see anywhere that talks I think about that. I
0: think I'd even heard they were going to allow you to show Multiple applications on the screen at a time.
5: Uh, Yeah, I think it's it's the, I think it's a little bit more the the concept from the, the the S where you can do the peak, type system, but they're actually going to let you see, and that's something that you can do kind of on desktops Mm -hmm. with uh, being able to view multiple things running. The TV and the watch, I didn't really read much into them. I did TV a little bit, but I didn't look at the watch at all. I saw
0: something kind of cool about the watch, but it seemed very niche. Um, Like Josh has a Fitbit like he showed me today and so for people who don't know you know, it's this little device you can wear on your arm and it yeah. tells you your time and tells you your, your heart rate and all that stuff so on the Apple Watch I, I saw a small section where they were talking to these guys because it was like the first 10 minutes of the thing and they, they have a product called Airstrip as a doctor you can be walking through the hospital and on your phone or you know on your watch it can tell you who your next appointment is but even further than that, you can tap on that next appointment, and it shows a lot of the the vital reports of that person. You can turn the watch side, the little uh, <laughs> the knob, and it it'll go ahead and scroll it up, and it will show like their EKG. It'll show their heart rate. You can actually touch on it, and it will show you the lines like you would see on the actual machines. Yeah. And they were saying too, all of that is <laughs> being, all of that is being sent in a HIPAA compliant way. Now, they didn't They didn't talk about it, but as a security guy... Yeah, I assume mm, it'd
6: have to be encrypted. Yeah, yeah. my
0: ears kind of like perked up and I was really curious to know how that worked. But I mean, that that's cool. Yeah, that Doc- shows the only doctors can afford I mean, it. I mean, doctors will <laughs> want that watch, but, um, but my thing is... They did I,
5: advertise a leather wrist strap. If I ever wanted one of those it?
0: watches, it's a double-edged sword for me because... And it, well, it's like a big contradiction... If I ever wanted one of those watches, I would expect to own the watch without having to have a phone. Like, mm. why? Mm. It's an accessory.
5: Mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't want. Really?
0: I would want it to be. But then again, I would also say. Why the hell would I want a phone that's as small as a watch, either? So yeah. So I mean, I would expect it to Tracy then, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I would expect it to be a phone, but then I'd be like, why is it so small? And, and I'm not, size matters. And and I, and I don't want to buy one of those big old the old things where I could put you know an an iPhone Plus on my arm. And it would be wider than my actual hand would be, <laughs> like like what they use when they're running. You know, people running. with oh, yeah, yeah, Shoulder strap ones. I could just move that down to my wrist, and I would I would have a, a watch phone. It would be mm-hmm. a, be a giant. That looks iPhone. like about
6: the size that the astronauts have on the outside of their spacesuit. Those watches.
0: Uh, yeah. Well, you had to be able to see through all that glass and stuff, and need yeah. to be re- big readouts. So so Scott, you have one we kind of teased. Um, we we talked on the Windows 95 5 about I wanted you to talk about dark hotels and about how that whole that whole setup works. So, so let's, let, let's scare the crap out of people, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> well,
6: um, I'm not sure if your run-of-the-mill person will be scared about this because it's very targeted, apparently. And so uh, if you're not in the nuclear power industry or whatever, but um, I came across this last time I was teaching a security class, which was last fall, and... Um, there was, a, there was a Wired magazine article that said, you know, Dark Hotel, a sophisticated new hacking attack, targets high-profile hotel guests. And so they, they start with a little scenario where it says um, the hotel guest probably never knew what hit him. When he tried to get online using his five-star hotel's Wi-Fi network, he got a pop-up alert telling him that there was a new Adobe software update. <laughs> now, this happens, you know, every day it seems like, right? Because Adobe is so, you know, full of uh, security vulnerabilities. And so... Um, it's not out of the ordinary at all. So not at all. It popped up and said, you know, there was a new software update. And when he clicked to accept the download, he got a malicious executable instead. What he didn't know was that the sophisticated attackers who targeted him had been lurking on the hotel's network for days, waiting for him to check in. So it was very targeted.
0: So they were looking um, for him. They
6: were looking for him only. And then um, they uploaded their malware uh, to the hotel server days before his arrival and then it deleted it as soon as he had downloaded it to his machine. Oh my gosh, you know, um, that's, that's almost like, you know, a, a sniper or something, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, in IT land, basically. And um, that's, the conclusion, that's the conclusion reached by researchers at Kaspersky Lab. If you're not familiar with Kaspersky, uh, that's a Russian company that Mm -hmm. that makes an excellent antivirus uh, suite of products and stuff. Um, My brother, the blood-sucking lawyer, says that um, it takes a Russian to catch a Russian. And so, (laughs) (laughs) I will tell you, though, um, if you are ever in a bad situation where you are very infected, uh, I had, my my brother-in-law had the worst infected machine I'd ever seen. It had like 900 and some infections on it. Mm -hmm. And it was running. Norton. No. Oh, McAfee? McAfee. Uh, and, and it was the, the uh, commercial version, too. Mm-hmm. And he had paid for that, you know, a, a legit license and everything. And it said everything was hunky-dory. 900 course, plus of infections. Of course it is, McAfee. <laughs> yeah. And, well, as we know, John McAfee has not been with the company for several years. No, no, <laughs> no. No. But and anyway. don't
0: try to uninstall it, apparently, either, <laughs> based on uh, that funny video.
6: So... Kaspersky, uh, they have like a 30-day free trial and it, and it's full function. So if you're in a bad situation, you can download that, uh, not pay anything at that time, and and it will clean you up uh, very very well. Uh, from my experience, it's worked on the 900 and some infections uh, when we quickly got rid of McAfee and um, bought Kaspersky. But <laughs> what I find interesting here is that actually Kaspersky Labs is tracking these these people. Hmm. You know. That it said, you know, that was the researchers at Kaspersky Lab and the third-party company that managed the Wi-Fi network of the unidentified hotel where the guest stayed. So, uh, and this was in located somewhere in Asia. You know, we don't necessarily know where that was, but right. Um, Kaspersky says the attackers have been active for at least seven years. This would be eight years now because uh, mm-hmm. they started in 2007, conducting surgical strikes against targeted guests at other luxury hotels in Asia, as well as infecting victims uh, via spear phishing attacks and peer-to-peer networks.
0: So spear phishing.
6: Spear phishing, is, well, phishing in general that was yep. a, with a PH. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, the um, trying to get you to click on something that looks like your Fishing. bank or mm-hmm. to, to try to get mm-hmm. your... Um, your personal information or whatever
0: or they send you the the email that's like your your email is going to be turned off in the next day unless mm-hmm. you send this
6: or, or you need to change your password yeah change mm-hmm. your
0: password S- send an email it to us that's how you'll change your password apparently fishing yeah.
5: for that information
6: yeah or they'll even have um you know the the good ones uh will have used to be they, they would give you a link that said it was like you know go to paypal and change your password you know right. or you'll be locked out of your paypal account and if you hovered over that link, you could see it didn't really go to PayPal, although it said it did on the screen. Sure. Um, the good ones now have, you know, a uh, uh, JavaScript button or whatever that you know is 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 in the email embedded, and so you can't hover over it and see where it's going to take you when you right. click on that. But still,
0: so spearfishing is a more directed, more surgical version of that.
6: Yes, because you know the the other thing is is almost like a. Breadcrumbs on the water. You send it out to everybody and hope somebody you know comes well, back. Well, yeah, I,
0: I would regularly get emails that say, you know, you have an UPS package, and I would think I didn't order anything from UPS. But if they could somehow hack into PayPal and they knew I had a PayPal account, if they could send an actual email and try to act like they were from PayPal, I would more likely respond to that if they're knowing and targeting me because it's a service I own.
6: Yeah, and yeah, you know, well, and they could almost assume that you know. A large percentage of people have a PayPal account. Sure. And so uh, what what you need to look for, a lot of times they will say, you know, we will never send you anything like that. PayPal would say that. One thing to look for is, does it have your actual name in there? Like you'll get phishing attacks where they are are trying to get you to, to... Give up your banking uh, username and password, mm-hmm. and they will put in graphics, you know, that they steal from the actual your actual bank's sure. website, and it looks like looks like that, but it'll say, you know, dear bank customer. Right. Or whatever, it won't say your actual name. And mm-hmm. so that's something to look for. And, and also, then, you know, a lot of these are conducted from outside the United States and it's non, you know, English speaking as a first language kind of a deal. And so you can see, you know,
0: very, very poor English. <laughs> yes.
6: Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, some of them are really good and, and they're hard to detect, and other ones are, are very obvious, you know. And so
0: so if, um, you, if you wonder, call your bank. Like yeah. If you ever doubt it, call your bank.
6: Yeah, you make the call. Yes. Uh, if you get a call at the house, say give give me your number. I'll call you back, or you know, or look mm-hmm. up the number for the bank right. and, and you call them back and, and ask for that person. They'll say no, we don't do. That's that. Um, you know, the things going on now with the, the the scammers that call up and they say, um, this is Microsoft. Yeah, your Windows is broken. Yeah, your Windows is sending out many many um, error packets onto the internet and and uh, we've detected this.
0: Microsoft doesn't do yeah, that. Yeah,
6: Microsoft's got a whole lot of other things to do. They're not, you know, checking to see if you're sending out bad packets from <laughs> from your machine. And so what they're trying to get you to do is allow them to do remote desktop, you mm-hmm. know, remote assistance. And I remember when that first came out in Windows and I was like, oh, great. We got back work. It's built into Windows now. Yeah. Um. So anyway, d- don't do that either. Microsoft will never call you and say something like that, you know. Um, if you complain about the MCSE program, somebody might call you from Microsoft. But otherwise, no. <laughs> I
0: hear, I just, uh, hear I, you're not happy that we changed the name, Scott. <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know that, I, I made quite a stink there at one point. It was back in 2008, um, Microsoft said they were just getting rid of the MCSE program. Period. There, no more MCSEs. And uh, Patrick and I both were, you know, had spent years building up that brand and being, you know, totally dedicated to Microsoft. And all of a sudden, they just threw all our effort and time and money out the and, window. Well,
0: they changed the name to something no one was going to Then gonna nobody
6: know. knew what, what it was. And so um, I, uh, I complained, you know, vociferously. That's a big word, which means just loud voice to so anybody who would listen. Or even if they wouldn't listen, I'd make a noise. And we happened to be at a conference out at Salt Lake City. And... I talked to somebody from Microsoft who we just ran into again this year when we went out to uh, to Redmond it's and actually mothership. visited Mothership, and that guy remembered me. You know, that's that's why I say Patrick's famous a- at Microsoft, and I'm infamous. But I got a call at home after this because that guy had just started at Microsoft, and I complained, you know, about that, and I said, "Man, you guys are just totally screwing us over," and. um he filed a report, he told us this time. And I had gotten a call from the global head of certification at Microsoft at my house. And so he's you know, hi, uh, you know, is this Robert? Yeah, that's how you can always tell they don't really know who you are. And like, yes, this is Robert. And um he said i I can't remember what his name was but he said this is such and such i'm head of global certification at microsoft and i said okay he said i understand you're um unhappy with what what's going on with the the program and i said yes i am and you know at that point i I thought well they're already throwing mcse out the window so i i I don't care i'm going to tell them and um normally you'd say well you know you think you'd need to be you know friendly or something like that because you don't want to lose your certification but it's already gone anyway what microsoft (laughs) does uh, what they do generally is they they decide they're going to make a change to something, and then they go ahead and implement it, and then they ask you how you felt about what they did to you, <laughs> and and then they say, okay, thanks for your feedback. It's not going to make any difference, but you know, thanks a lot. Um, I will, however, say um, that when we were out at at Redmond, they asked us to help them troubleshoot their design for them it academy right yes and so they were
0: asking up front this time
6: yes they did and and they said you know please sit down this is what what it's going to look like you know we've redesigned everything they they assigned a different you know researcher to each one of us they would show us and they'd say okay what are your initial impressions and um do you think any changes need to be made or whatever you know and uh So I will take up for them there, you know, because people are saying that um, on Windows 10, for example, the the idea is that engineers, you know, who are just so isolated, software engineers that you know aren't in the real world and they understand, you know, their own way of doing things, and they say, you know, that they they don't ask people, you know, Mm -hmm. what what it's like. But we do know for a fact that they do do that, Mm -hmm. at least sometimes. So anyway, but back to the dark hotel thing. This is a group that's, you know. It's kind of scary because... Uh,
0: so why, why do they want that guy? Do we, do we know from the article what he was?
6: What it is is um, they they target people in certain industries like executives. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's basically corporate espionage in a, in a way in that case. But victims are infected with botnet malware during the initial stage. But if the victim turns out to be interesting the attackers go a step further to place a backdoor on the system to exfiltrate documents and data
0: that's just a great way they can connect to your machine and just take what they want whenever they want
6: right and and you don't see it mm-hmm. the scary really scary thing is uh, it says until recently the attackers had about 200 command and control servers set up to manage the operation 200 servers kaspersky managed to sinkhole 26 sinkhole that's an interesting term haven't heard of that one before i have not either but it said sinkhole 26 of the command server domains and then gained access physical access to some of the servers oh wow uh, where they found unprotected logs identifying thousands of infected systems and so um You know, botnets are where, you know, they take control via some software that gets installed on a machine. And now it's not your machine anymore. It's the, you know, perpetrator over here who's remotely controlling. And they, you know, you can rent botnets,
0: you know. Yeah, that almost, it almost kind of feels like if people have seen a movie like The Manchurian Candidate or any of those type of spy thrillers where, Someone has been indoctrinated into some sort of culture, and then a certain keyword will suddenly turn them, you know, flip the switch and turn them into the sleeper agent they need. Oh, your, yeah. Your computer is basically just a, a sleeper agent in wait. Because and, and
6: you don't know that this is going on until they come knocking at your door, like from your ISP yeah. that says, you know, you're conducting some sort of attack.
0: Because all your machine ever does is every once in a while, it just phones home to that. the cnc machine and says hey i'm still alive i'm still here and so it waits for orders and when it gets the orders that's when it really starts doing the damage
6: what these guys do though i mean it's if if you have any idea of how um certificates work with um, certificate authorities and things like that with e-commerce and digital signatures
0: well when you go to amazon to buy something There's that wonderful little lock up in the upper right-hand corner. Yeah,
6: you you know, you see that. It looks like a a little padlock, and Mm -hmm. you say, okay, well, things are good. What's actually happening there is Amazon sends you a certificate that has their public key in it. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, there's a key pair, public and private key, and the private keeps private. Only Amazon's going to have that. And then they give out the public key to everybody in the public that wants to encrypt data to send to them, which would be your credit card information. And so they give you their key in that certificate. And then once you have that, you're able to start sending encrypted information. Mm-hmm. Back and only the owner of the private key that matches the public key can decrypt that, which would be Amazon in that case. And that's when you get your little padlock there, and um, all that stuff goes on, you know, just almost instantaneously. And you know,
0: well, also when your browser, when your Explorer, Firefox, or Safari, whatever you're using, when it goes to Amazon, you don't see it, but it looks at that certificate Amazon says they have the mm-hmm. the, the actual. Kind of, kind of like the digital sheet of paper that says, I'm allowed to do business as Amazon. They go and fact check that with the company who supposedly issued that. Yeah, but
6: check them out and made sure that they were doing what they said they did. Almost like, like a kind of
0: private that. eye. Uh-huh. And, and if that company says, no, we didn't do that, your browser will throw up a warning to you and say, we don't think this is a Invalid
6: certificate is. or whatever.
0: Yeah. Or if you go to Amazon with two O's or Amazon. right. It, it'll it'll say this certificate doesn't does not go. match Yeah so that helps make sure you get to the right place and you buy the right stuff from the reputable retailer
6: okay the same thing gets done with software mm-hmm. um, they, they can be digitally signed this whole idea of public key private key can be d- you know done to create digital signatures to prove that it came from who they say they are mm-hmm. well what these guys have been able to do is they're able to digitally sign they've, they've cracked the, the, the keys. For, for that and they can digitally sign their own software that makes it look like it is legit so that's why he was okay with installing that Adobe software yeah because it, it looked like it was from Adobe you know it had the correct digital signature but it really wasn't from Adobe that's scary it is scary because now who can you trust right and so it says their targeting uh, is nuclear themed but they also target the defense industry uh, based in the US as well and so, at one point, they had tracked some of this stuff back to South Korea, which wow. That's is, is our ally. You'd think it may be North Korea.
0: Yeah, but like you think North Korea or, or Iran, something like yeah, that. Yeah,
6: right. So, at one, at one point in here, they say, this is NSA-level infection me- mechanism, the idea that they're able to digitally sign their own stuff. Mm-hmm. And as we know, the NSA is listening to everything that we do. Um, so, hello, NSA. Yeah, hello, NSA. <laughs> How's it going? We like uh, you.
0: We totally support you. in all
6: Yeah, things. yeah. As long as you're, you know, not targeting us, that's that's great. Uh, so anyway, be, we'd be more boring targets.
0: We would. <laughs> yeah.
6: I thought that too until I got hacked by you know Chinese hackers. You know that taunted me and said, you know, don't. It must be um, daunting to be so overmatched. <laughs> I was like, wow. Yeah. So, and I was teaching the security class at the same time. I came in and told them. I said, oh, man, you know what do they what do they want with me and I, at that time i had a cradle point access point which is really good had really good logging and so i could see that you know there were um, port scans and stuff going on all the time every day every minute all day long and so you know somebody in the class brought up a pretty pretty good point they said well you're, you're getting these probes all the time and they're not getting through maybe they said well what does he have
0: Right, you know, mm-hmm.
6: and so right. they, you know, got serious about it. Banged them through there, you know, and so for the, for those of you who haven't heard that story, I, I burned everything to the ground when that happened. I mean, I um, I, I took out micro SD cards and cut them up with scissors. I I um, reset the 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 tablets and the phones. They were they were in the tablets, the phones, and the PCs. And, and you and
0: didn't you didn't just wipe your hard drive. You took no, out the hard drive.
6: Right, I took the hard drives out put brand new hard drives in, and, and then I you know, ran over, shredded, burned, and nuclear, you know, everything with the old hard drives because I just, you, you can't trust it at mm-hmm. that point. And so, uh, but I, I knew that they were um, in the tablets because, and this is scary, folks, a tablet was sitting on, I had, you know, one of those Asus tablets sitting on the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I said something to my wife about the fact that they hadn't wiped my security logs. I said I can't believe as sophisticated as these guys are that they that they didn't delete the security logs. I said that that would have been the first thing I did. 20 minutes later I look they're gone.
0: So that tablet they, they, had they, both they deleted though.
6: all that's not even how I knew. The kitchen light was turned off and it was dark in there and all of a sudden the screen came on. In mm. the dark and I was like, "Oh my gosh, so they they were turning on the camera. And obviously, they had the, um, the, microphone. the microphone turned mm-hmm. on, too. So then for quite a while after I, you know, reset to factory, all that stuff and everything, I, I went around. And I had a, a piece of electrical tape over the camera and over the microphone because mm-hmm. I just, you know, I was so paranoid at that point. And uh, for those I,
0: people out there wondering why you would care about the security logs, that's basically a digital journal. That keeps track of everything that's been trying to happen to your computer. Come exactly. Into your Exactly, and,
6: and I could see where where it was coming from um, mm-hmm. based on IP addressing and stuff like that. Luckily, I had already made a backup of the logs before that happened, and so I, I still had that. Right, and and I had uh, backup of the logs from the access point too. But uh, it, it was it was a um, it was a logic bomb basically a package that you know once it took off it executed even after I got off of the internet. I I unplugged everything and it was still executing. And so I got so paranoid then I was looking out the window for somebody with a Pringles can out (laughs) in the the road. Um,
0: With wireless. Yeah.
6: Trying to, yeah, that they Mm -hmm. were, you know, trying to get me war driving or whatever, but oh gosh. So,
0: you know, maybe these
6: guys are sophisticated. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And they had, they had a key logger, sophisticated nature of the key logger, as well as the attack on the RSA keys indicates that dark hotel is likely a nation state campaign
0: so this is this is not some little homegrown militia this could be actually funded by an entire country yeah
6: it says or or at least a nation-state supported campaign Mm -hmm. um now i don't know if you guys remember the uh oh gosh i can't remember the name of it now the virus that attacked the iranian nuclear power plants
0: i do remember that because it like it it made it to where the temperatures went really high and it caused some things to
6: yeah this was the first the first um virus stuxnet the stuxnet virus It was the first virus that actually caused hardware damage Mm -hmm. and it attacked the centrifuges that they were using to you know separate the the nuclear material there plutonium i think to enrich the uranium yeah plutonium uranium Mm -hmm. or whatever right Um, all i know is it burned up thousands of these centrifuges cnsa we know nothing about nuclear bombs you don't need to talk to (laughs) us don't listen to us and so um, at that time there was all kinds of um, you know people trying to, to say well who, who did this you know again it was considered it was so you know sophisticated that it had to be a nation state kind of a thing and mm-hmm. and they were saying you know um israel or us mm-hmm. or you know whoever lo and behold it turned out to be us actually right. and Stuxnet kind of got loose uh and it and it was made to target the control machinery of nuclear power plants so it's really scary but um that was a you know a nation state kind of a thing they thought at the time and, and it was a nation state it was us so i don't know i don't know who these guys mm. are but i'm not in the nuclear Level. industry so and i don't stay at five hearts five star hotels either so right um, but
0: it's it just scary i mean because um it, Josh, if you I, can't
6: trust the software that pops up and says it's right. actually this is from microsoft or this mm-hmm. is from adobe well, we I think what, we talked about
0: in like the Flash classes before about clickjacking. Well, like it used to be when you had a Flash program, you could make an invisible button in that Flash oh, program, and yeah. you, just, you could overlay that on a web page, and, yeah. and they you could, couldn't see it. You couldn't see it, and they would be clicking and oh, didn't know. This
5: is still that still happens a lot. There are streaming sites mm-hmm. for uh, like sports and stuff that people right. will go to. And uh, like stream to watch, and you can watch live sports and stuff. And they're all Flash plug-in based, and it's the the video is behind like dozens of these. Uh, some are visible, and some are invisible advertisement blocks. And you know, if you click one, it wants to take you to another page. All this stuff, and so right. they're still doing that but same mean, thing. I
0: mean, this is this has gotten, as Scott says, even more sophisticated to mm-hmm. where now. Can you even trust that what you're bringing down is a Microsoft update? Right, it right. says no, it's yeah. Microsoft. The, the
6: mechanism to verify that is has been compromised, right. basically. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know who who can you trust right Uh, several years back um there these are certificate authorities Mm -hmm. are people that you know companies that exist to verify that Mm -hmm. you are who you say they are and then they issue the you these keys Uh, probably the biggest one in in the world is verisign Mm -hmm. and so um they have a private key that you know is their root key and so it's you know supposedly kept in a vault in a mountain you know underneath or you know whatever um, and nobody ever gets to it and unfortunately their private key got compromised when that happened then all of a sudden now every key that they ever issued we don't really know if it came from them or the people that compromised their route right so they had to turn around and go back and reissue keys to everybody they had ever done that with for free Wow, and so you know that that kind of stuff does happen, but th- these are these are people who didn't do that. They mm-hmm. they kind of cracked the 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 encryption key, you know, scheme, and now they're able to you know pretend that they could be anybody.
0: The interesting real world uh, illustration that I always show in class that's in the, that's from that video. About the internet, I can't remember what it was called, but Warriors of the the Net. Warriors of the Net, yeah, where they talked about the bubble burst. It's it's an awesome analogy. So like, if you're really confused about what we're talking about, it's the idea that what if you had a friend who who you wanted them to send you some data, but you worried about people listening to your phone calls, your email, and all that? How are they gonna buy a lock and put it on something to mail to you and get you the combination? Because someone's gonna hear that, or someone could possibly hear that. And they say the way that certificates work, you buy the lock. You keep the combination. You mail them the, the actual locking mechanism itself. So the lock password, the lock's uh, combination never goes over the airwaves, never goes over the telephone lines. They don't even know what the, the password is for it. They just know that when they lock it and it gets to you, you'll be able to open it. So you were, you were talking earlier about public keys and private keys even if i went to amazon and was using the public key and i was sending it back to amazon server you couldn't grab that information scott and look at it because you don't have that the actual private key. Yeah. The, the
6: the keys are mathematically related but they're mm-hmm. not the same and so and, and they're not well up to this point they were reversible to right. to be able to you know figure that out
0: it was such a big math problem that would take years and years and years
6: yeah or or supercomputers like oh the nsa has bunches of those mm-hmm. but you know, by the time someone would break it, you would have already it would be, renewed yeah. it so right. like that this point and, and those they they have expiration dates yeah that mm-hmm. that kind of thing so I don't know it's it's kind it's, of scary it is
0: scary. my story here is, is a bit of a hilarious story, and it all comes back to a type of, of Cat Five cabling that I've never had to buy one of. But there's a <laughs> there's a type of cabling that's called that has a snagless end. Is that what, what they call those? Scott? Yeah,
6: snagless. They've got a little hood that goes over the RJ45 connector.
0: So if you think about your at your house, if you have telephone cable, when you plug the telephone uh, cable into the jack, it has a little a little piece you got to press down to plug in, a little dongle that sticks up. And, and if it snaps you, in. It snaps in. If you were to unplug that, that little snap that's, that's up could get snagged on something. And break off. Much like the phones we were just talking about earlier with the stylus. Yes. So they've decided to create this little um, piece of plastic that goes over that hook to where it can't be snagged. It's protected. That's like a little hood that it's like goes a, around it. So, Cisco has these devices, these really, really expensive switches and routers, and much like the ones you probably have in your house, there is a button on them that's a reset button. Although, I'm always accustomed to when you have reset buttons, you usually got to break out a ballpoint pen. Yeah, it's recessed
6: back in a little hole. and you got to
0: stick it back there and hold it in for a couple seconds. Well, Cisco, for some reason (laughs) in their infinite wisdom, put theirs actually on the front of their device directly above where you plug in one of these cables. (laughs) And that little hood, a little snagless hood, actually will press up against that button and hold it in and that causes the entire Cisco switch or router to completely reboot and do away with all of its configurations.
6: Yeah, it resets the device completely. First of all, I, I want to say that it's not necessarily a, a bad design in that they had that thing there because these are... You know really high-end devices that aren't you know at somebody's house they're True. gonna be a, in a data center you know with right. professional people but um still y- you know you would
0: think you would think you would still make that button be recessed you would want it to be harder to press because that's a pretty life-changing thing you do yeah losing um, your configuration
6: I, 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 however <laughs> i will say that uh, you know as a cisco person but And and Microsoft person too, you know, you got to back up a server. That's that's a job. You know, you got all kinds of files and all this other kind of stuff. Cisco device can be backed up to a text file, Mm -hmm. and so and a a very small text file. So, if you have Cisco devices, you should be doing that all you know right away anyway. But so it it might not be a disastrous thing, but it would certainly bring down that device and everything that's hooked to it uh, until somebody could reload the configuration from their backup text file.
0: Now, they do say here, even in those text files, you have the ability to disable the button. And when you buy buy something that expensive, it's probably extremely configurable and you can say whether the button works or not. (laughs) But they did say in the article that they're sure it caught many of the network engineers, you know, red-handed in this case, or at a loss before they realized what they actually did when they were plugging all the cables. Yeah, it said something about,
6: like, um, these cables were accidentally used in a data center. Well, that makes it sound like, you know... They shouldn't be used in a data center, and I, and I don't really understand that part because, you know, unless the idea is that, you know, in a, in a data center, you're not going to have people, you know, dragging them across the carpet or whatever that, that right. break off the, the pieces on the RJ45 connector. But yeah, I know I, you and I have talked annoying. about this. The first thing we do on those usually is cut that little hood off because <laughs> yeah. it, it's such a pain in the rear end to once, you, once it plugs in. To, to get it back out yes. you know you, you almost have to squeeze it with a pair of pliers or something to, mm-hmm. get, to get it to come back out
0: because the hood that's protecting the protecting that little, the little notch there prevents you from pressing the notch all the way down exactly yes. so yeah it's very very annoying well I think that's gonna do it for us this week do you guys have any closing words or closing thoughts everyone wear their tinfoil hats
6: <laughs> <laughs> as um, we used to say on the X-Files trust no one
0: Yes. Well, and uh, I want to remind everybody that we do have a Twitter page out there that's Talk on Tech MCTC. Uh, a new announcement there is now a new webpage, which is talkontechpodcast.com. That's where you can go. And, and if you're a non iTunes fan like Scott, you can go and download any of the episodes or stream them there for free. Uh, and also, we have two new email addresses since we, since we have uh, Talk on Tech Podcast. There is Patrick at TalkOnTechPodcast.com, and there's also now Josh at TalkOnTechPodcast.com. and maybe we need to make one for Scott too.
6: Yeah, just go to my Facebook page. Um, yeah, good. Oh, luck. that's right. I have no Facebook. <laughs> yeah, good luck
0: there. But uh, if and we we still have the old account of TalkOnTech at Gmail But if anybody out there finds any interesting articles that that you think might be worthwhile for the podcast or you got any feedback? Feel free to either email us at any of those email addresses or send us a quick tweet uh, on our Twitter page. But thank you all. That's going to do it for this week. I'm Patrick Smith. I'm Josh Joseph.
6: And I'm Scott Nicholas.
0: Have a great week.